boy. All right, everybody. Welcome to a very special Eric Lang Show podcast that I guarantee is a episode unlike any other. Uh, right now, it is 11.16 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Sunday, April 8th. Now, what I'm about to do is I'm going to run through a few chapters of the experience of playing Augusta National Golf Club on the Monday after the Masters as a truly lucky media member, winner of the lottery. Um, so I'm just going to walk through the first stage, which uh, has obviously been the week leading up, um, you know, covering covering the Masters um, as a grateful member of the media invited by Golf Digest. Um, and then uh, up until today where we had the mandatory meeting at 10.30 a.m., which just got out about 46 minutes ago we started and um and then i'm gonna and then i'm gonna stop this and then i'm going to um i'll probably do it tonight as i'm in bed um trying to sleep perhaps getting some actual sleep and then playing tomorrow and then afterwards and then you know i'll, I'll do a yearly <laughs> yearly recap just in case i'm planning on doing a shot by shot as well as well as some colorful commentary um Okay, so the beginning. Um, you know, you arrive at Augusta, and uh, when you pick up your credentials, they offer you um, the option to join the lottery. And you put your name on a little tiny ticket. It's very small. It's about the size of a matchbook. And, um, you know, they ask you to keep the other end of it, and I stored that thing so safe. I actually stuck it in my butt. Um, just no, That's crude. I didn't do that. That's, that's crude. Why did I say that? We're at, a, we're at a very high, high scale thing. I didn't do that. I put it in my wallet which uh, goes right near my butt, uh, in my back pocket. And that's maybe what I meant to say. Um, Apologies to anyone offended. And so then, (laughs) oh, the people I've offended. Um, (laughs) So then then you enter and you spend five days, uh, maybe four four and change, basically dreaming. Um, You have the opportunity to allow yourself to dream of something that might come true for you, me, us all as... Uh, lovers of the game. Oh, God, I've been so choked up the past couple hours, maybe the past day, after finding out um, winning. I mean, it's been really intense, the feelings that arise, like the sort of screaming uh, tide of uh, Irish Sea, you know? It really comes in hard there in Ireland. Oh, the experiences golf has brought me are just so... Really? Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, I've met David Blaine, but his magic is meaningless to me. When you compare it to the magic of living a life where you actually allow yourself to want something, that's been the most interesting lesson this trip. You know, I think it's hard to really deeply for me at least, give myself the opportunity to want something because it's like walking out on a plank. Without knowing what's next, right? Yeah, wanting something is kind of like death, I guess. It's death in a way because you might die if you don't get it, right? Emotionally. 
scary. All right, composure, regain, relax, reset. It reminds me of uh, my, one of my favorite movies is uh, Bowfinger. You know, with um, one of the greatest movies about making movies in L.A. Steve Martin wrote it, and he's this hack director who's like, you know, just trying to make a movie. And, um, you know, he assembles this cast of characters, and he realizes through some sort of completely, um, you know, shady, fake meeting with a, with a big producer that he can make a movie if he gets the famous Kit Ramsey involved. And Kit Ramsey is played by Eddie Murphy. And so he decides that Kit Ramsey won't do it, obviously. So what he does is... I should have brought water into this fucking room. I'm so dry. Um, So he decides to make a movie set around Kit Ramsey's actual life. So Kit Ramsey goes to a cafe. Then they shoot the movie while Kit Ramsey's having lunch. And unfortunately, Kit Ramsey is a paranoid quasi-Scientologist who believes in aliens. And coincidentally, the movie that Steve Martin, the director, is trying to make is about aliens. So it sort of has this fun paranoia element. Um, Anyway... I have no idea why I brought that up. Let's see. Let's go back. What was I saying? Uh, oh, and in the movie, Eddie Murphy has this, he's paranoid and his psychologist keeps telling him, what did we say? Kit Ramsey, K-I-T. And, and Kit Ramsey goes, right, right, right. Keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. K-I-T. Keep it together. Keep it together. Keep it together. Uh, I'm trying to keep it together. Yeah. So wanting something. We all walked into this lottery wanting something. 800 of us, apparently, media members, just media members, just iron workers. But instead of hot iron, they're pumping out stories that that we all read. The gratitude that Augusta National Golf Club and the members, the Green Jackets, the people that designed the tournament and the golf course, the staff that puts on the event and and the and everyone involved the the gratitude that they show to the media is awe inspiring to say the least there's a media center here that's like a museum with pictures of all of the different media centers and all of the legends that have told the stories you know Clifford Roberts the chairman in perpetuity along with Bobby Jones his sort of face of the masters made a direct point of involving the media in this because they knew that in some sense you could look at it two ways. Maybe it was selfish in order to promote the masters and to make it a big thing. But in some ways, maybe it was actually selfless. Is telling a story selfish? I don't think so. I think that, I think that we have a requirement to spend our time doing that one thing that if we're good at it helps others. God damn it. I am literally, I'm just a sobby bitch. (laughs) I can't stop feeling. (laughs) One of my favorite Instagram accounts is, um, emotional club. You should check them out. I mean, they're kind of morbid, but I like that shit. I like the morbidity of it all. Realizing there's an end helps us to run faster or slower as the situation would ask of you. Faster to the things you want and slower to the things that you have. Run with great speed. Because we only get one race, you know? (laughs) 
So, it's Sunday at the Masters. There's a lot of stories out there, but this is the story that I'm going to tell you. So we walk in at 10.25, none of us obnoxiously early, but all of us thinking about it, I'm sure, for the hours that we've had in between finding out that we were the lucky winners, the one group of 30 that ended up being 26 for some strange reason, selected out of 800 to play Augusta National on Monday. We all walked in as strangers, it seemed like. No one really knew each other. Someone knew me. They told me we had emailed. I said that I respond, and he said yes. <laughs> we got along. He's a young guy like me, sitting right next to me. His tea time is after mine tomorrow at 11.10. I sat down next to a guy named Brian. Who Brian kind of looks like, do you know Michael Strantz, designer of Tobacco Road? Brian reminds me of him. A little longer hair, kind of the wings coming out on the side, little dad hat, sweat stains, grizzly beard, probably some dip in, looked like it. Maybe he has tongue, uh, lip cancer. I don't know. Maybe he's doing... Maybe he's got toilet paper in his mouth. I don't really know. I didn't ask. But Brian, I sat down next to him and I said, hi, Brian. Nice to meet you. I'm Eric. We talked about how crazy it was. And, you know, I think one of these things that really, you notice it everywhere you go. But when you walk into a room of people that don't know each other, there's a lot of folded arms. Everyone's scared, it seems like. Scared to be excited. Well, I'm not. Right? I walked in the weirdest looking guy in there. And I just tried to just lean into that feeling of being excited. And I did it with Brian. And then I turned around and we did it with the guy behind us and the other guy. And then we all started talking and we realized that we're on an email chain. We got an email yesterday that said mandatory meeting, 1030 AM in the interview room. We are in the famous interview room where Tiger Woods has sat along with all the others. The winner will be interviewed there later today whoever that will be. It's a room that the oxygen that comes out of the people's breath in there after speaking and answering questions and asking questions, it's all about the story, the hero's journey. And in this case, I'm the unlikely hero. Didn't want to be, but I've come around to it and I'm so grateful. I'm really grateful to you for listening whoever you are, wherever you are, somewhere out there. Maybe it's raining. Maybe you can't hear me speaking because someone's yelling. Maybe you got headphones on. Maybe you're having sex. That would be weird. <laughs> if you're having sex right now, please text me because I'd like to interview you because you are certainly a weirdo. <laughs> and if you decided to have sex based on that comment, power to you. I'd love to know what you name him or her. Uh... <laughs> Uh, the digressions. Um, Brian and I sat there together and we talked about where he works and where I work and what we do and how exciting this is. And we and we pondered the reality that we are now bonded forever just because we are sitting together in this room and that all 30 of us on this email chain from yesterday are now a brotherhood and that we should have a yearly ritual. I propose that we play the Muni right next door, Forest Hills, $10 a round. We all laughed. They said it'd be a step down. And I said, as long as it's a step. <laughs> so the gentleman who came in and gave us 
the orientation was a, was a few minutes late and someone came in to apologize very kindly. He's, we're very sorry. He's late. He came in eventually about eight minutes late. I mean, come on. Eight minutes late is not even late. I live in Hollywood. You'd be 40 days late. It takes so long to do anything in Hollywood. Can't even order a taco without, I don't know, getting bored. Eh, boredom's a good thing. Boredom's good because that's where the real fertility arrives in thought. I love doing nothing. Doing too many things, it's like juggling. You can't keep it going. So finally the gentleman arrives. He's wearing a blue blazer with a zip-up, half-zip-up lanyard and a checkered Oxford underneath. Glasses, tightly trimmed hair, and maybe a little maybe a little balding on the top. Navy blue slacks with the pleats and leather laceless uh, loafers. And he comes in and you could tell that he understood the gravity of what was going on in the room despite a lot of the coldness in there that I was trying to melt a little bit with my fucked up teeth <laughs> and my own breath. So he comes in and sort of has a piece of paper. And he says, sorry I'm late, but I figured that you all would wait. <laughs> we all laughed. And, uh, you know, he went on and he handed out the cards. I'm going to read you this. Did I already lose it? It's my invitation. Here it is. I did not lose it. The invitation is about a four by five envelope, and on the front it says Eric Lang. They spelled it right for once. They do everything right here, including spelling. Um, again, to relate back to you the impossibility of wanting and actually getting. 800 people, credentialed media. We don't know exactly how many tickets were in that box, but we know that it was. We know that it was in the hundreds and, and less than 30 of us were in that room. We all wanted to know. That was the question that all these golf writers had. How many were, how many were in the lottery? Everyone wanted to know the odds. The truth is the odds are impossible and unfathomable. I'm moving some shit around here. I'm leaning back in the chair. I got to lean back. So they hand out this thing. They go. So he hands his uh, cohort there. I can't remember her name, but she was very sweet as well. A stack of envelopes that have the tea times and some of the additional information. And she has the stack of envelopes, and she she says, I'm going to call out your names, and then I'm going to bring them to you. And she pulls the first one out and says, Eric Lang. And I just almost cried again to consider that here was my silly, silly green ticket that pulled out first, and then they kept it in order. They kept the envelopes in order of who was pulled out first, as if to say that there was some unspoken about ritual and rule that just happens here. The order with which each blade of grass is tended to, whether it's on the stimp meter or the watering or the grains of sand or the way the patrons experience the event, walking in casually on a wide road all together all wearing master's merchandise from years past or from eBay or from friends or relatives that they bought for them when they went. Because that's what you do. When you come to the master's, you come for yourself, but you also come for everybody else that couldn't. You buy stuff for everybody, and it's not a commercial enterprise. It's not I'm buying for me. You're buying for others. I would venture to say that most of the money spent in that pro shop, in that master's merchandise house, is actually spent for others. And again, we come back to the idea that who do we do this for? 
yeah, I'm going to play for me. But that's ultimately pretty sad, isn't it? Who are you playing for? Me. Me. Bernhard Langer, one of my first interviews on the PGA Tour. I said, who do you play golf for? Or no, I actually didn't ask that question. I'm lying. What did I say? I think I said, how does spirituality come into your golf game? And I think he said, well, and this is actually in the movie, uh, Be the Ball. Be the Ball, Danny. Well, it's kind of hard with you talking like that. (laughs) Everyone says I have a swing like Danny Noonan. Um, I'm going to interview him soon for the podcast. Stay tuned. So, um, where on earth was I? (laughs) Come on, Eric, thank you. Uh, So anyway, we do things for others. So, so they hand out the envelopes. Mine is first. The next one, Brian. Brian Mole, the guy next to me. We're in the same group. We high-fived each other, and we said brothers. That's a random thing if you think about it. What's really funny is I walked into the media center, and there was already about 15 people in there. And I didn't have an idea of what seat I was going to pick. And often when I have an empty thing and I go look at the seats, I try to sit right up front. I want to be not at the head of the class like a dick. (laughs) Not at the head of the class because I'm Zach Morris. I don't know if he's an asshole, but I like him. But I want to be at the head of the class because I'm interested in the subject matter. But I sat next to Brian. I don't know. He looked at me, didn't didn't smile really, but just sort of looked at me like like as if to say, what the fuck are we all doing here? So I sat down next to Brian, and now we're in the same tea time. Here's what I'm going to say. There's a card here. It's very thick stock, a little bit, little bit warm white with some texture on it. It's quite thick. It's already bent a little bit because somehow I fucked it up. The logo's on top, Augusta National Golf Club over the... 3D American United States outline with the flag rising very high above it, blowing to the left as though the wind is coming from the right, which helps those of us that fade the ball. The first words are in bold. Monday, comma, April 9, comma, 2018. Eric Lang is below it. And below that, two lines that are also in the same size and boldness. Arrival time, colon, 10 a.m., period. The a.m.s are in lowercase. I didn't know that. That's the way it goes. I've been putting them in uppercase. But honestly, grammar, who knows about it anyway. Tea time, 11 a.m. That means I'm allowed to arrive exactly one hour before. Then it says, please present this card at the main gate, parentheses, gate number three, for entrance to the club grounds and at the tea. They underlined and. And then it says, Will Jones. I don't know. Maybe Will Jones was the man that was speaking to us. I thought his name was Steve, but I could be wrong. The main gate, uh, the man leading the orientation would tell us, was actually Magnolia Lane. He said, we just call it gate three. (laughs) We all kind of laughed. Another card says additional information. This card is the same same stock, but it's different, uh, the same size and thickness, but it's actually different stock. It's got a different texture to it. It's much smoother. And it's been ripped on the bottom as though it was sort of perforated and given to many. This is the general. The Masters logo is on this one, not the Augusta National logo, and it's yellow. The other one was just in green and white. Additional information. All guests must have their invitation and a picture ID. These will be presented at gate three, as well as the tee, and will include your arrival and tee time. Drivers will be allowed to drop off and pick up return guests, but in order to be admitted to the grounds, the club must be provided with the driver's name by Sunday, 
Please instruct drivers that you're around will take at least four and a half hours so they will know when to return. Gate 3 will be open at 6.15 a.m. The practice team will be available for warm-up, but players will not be allowed on the grounds prior to their stated arrival time. For me, that's 10 a.m. Caddies and golf carts, if requested based on physical need, will be available for each player at no cost. A professional photographer will be available at the first seat to photograph your foursome. We mused, Brian and I, that this foursome, the photograph, would be forever cemented on each other's walls and that our kids would probably wonder who those other people were that passed through our lives on that special day. Please communicate any golf cart needs to driver names to Lori Musman. Gives her email. I'm not going to give that out. It's not what you think it is. <laughs> Hotcakes at AugustaNational.com. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I hope this isn't disrespectful. It's just my story. Regarding food service, the club will provide a continental breakfast early. A buffet lunch will be served in the clubhouse. We hope that you will enjoy your day. So while we're all reading that, the gentleman in front is telling us one special thing, many special things. The first thing he said was, look, we strive to make this the best experience it can for you. And we want you to feel like he said this to me, to all of us. We want you to feel like you're a member for a day. At that, I cried. I brought in extra napkins with me because I thought I was going to start crying, but I didn't cry as much as I thought I would. But when he said that we want you to feel like a member for a day, well, I mean, that's just an honor that is beyond me. The experience of not deserving this is sort of waved in and out of my point of view. I would like to know the etymology of deserve. I'm going to look it up right now. Got to look it up, right? What the fuck does deserve mean? Oh, man. Stand by. What are you doing? Driving? Everyone's driving. Deserve. Etymology. Deserve comes from Latin deservir, serve well or zealously. Old French then, deservir. From Old French, to serve well or zealously. Well, that's funny because we were just talking about that. Old French, to be worthy of, earn, merit, or from Latin, to serve well. D in Latin means completely, and servir means to serve, completely serve. From be entitled to because of good service, a sense found in late Latin, meaning generalized circa 1300 to be worthy of. I like the idea of serve well. All the media members are serving. Some of themselves, sure, those are the selfish ones. Those are the ones that kind of walk around with a bit of a frown. But the few there have some smiles because there's a quote that I used to, that I picked up in a lifetime ago. I don't know where we heard it, but we heard it around the same time, I believe, from some mutual friend. And the line went, I need all the help I can give. I need all the help I can give. Because it's true. Go help yourself. See how that works out for you. Go help someone else. Yeah. Kind of get a little more back, ironically. And honestly, I think that's why I don't have a job. I have more of a 
a vocation. I'm an amateur, right? Amateur means to love. Amateur, I think it means, I don't know, to love. <laughs> something like that. I know it means something like that. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it means something like that. I can back off a very, <laughs> I can have a definite idea of what something is and immediately back off it. I think that's a good thing, though. Who wants to know? I'd rather not know. Oh, geez. Member for a day. So then, here's the tricky part. We go through a lot of the logistics. And then he says something that that uh, gave me a question. Not a question I wanted to ask him, but an internal question, a moral question, an ethical question. He said, look, the way that he talked was so kind. You know, dress code. He said, look, here, you know, he said, well, we asked that, you know, you, we, we, uh, we, he said, golf attire is acceptable. He said, we do require pants. What a way to say that. He could have said, you have to wear pants. But he's a classy guy and it's a classy place. And he said, we, we require pants. Golf attire is acceptable. We require pants. And then he said, please don't put me in the position of needing to, and I can't remember what he said, like, like talk to you about that or have to deal with that. Very nice way of stating it. I think all of us knew what we were wearing. I'm not quite sure yet. But then he went on to say, you know, this experience is not for press, right? We do this for you as a gift. We don't do this to have you write stories about it. And he said the word social media. And I thought to myself, hmm, what am I going to do? Because it's my intention to tell this story. This is my story after all. And it's the only one I can tell. And I sort of thought about it and I've been thinking about it for the last little bit of time and I'll probably think about it again and I'll think about it after I've made my decision, which I think I know what that is. I've decided that uh, my sacrifice will be that I will tell this story on my social media. I've somehow picked up a southern accent. (laughs) I apologize. I'm going to tell this story through and through. I'm going to do the podcast. I'm going to walk you through every little step of the way. I'm going to do all of it. I'm not going to wait till after I've obviously played to release this. And I probably won't post a lot of photos or anything like that. But I'm going to write about it and I'm going to tell you about it. And the sacrifice is, well, maybe this is my one shot. What if I died and I didn't do it? I would be really sad because I know that if you're listening to this, you care. And it's not some juicy scoop. I'm not making anyone feel bad. I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah, I'm bending the rules. And that does make me feel a little bit weird, but at the same time, I have to imagine it's the right thing to do under the eyes of some larger force. So I've made that decision now. I might change my mind, as I do sometimes, but if it's my one shot, and they say you can never come back. I think that's worth it. I think I'd rather do that than hold on to it just so I could come back again. Because I've already been here, man. How many times do you need to play Augusta? Maybe once is better than twice. So Billy and I, Brian and I, are looking for our other twosome when the meeting adjourns. We're looking for the rest of the players with us. So we walk up. There's a bit of a gathering in the front of this massive interview room. 
that's cascading with wonderful mahogany countertops and beautiful microphones that wire up towards your face that light up as you speak, actually. There's outlets everywhere. There's a portrait on the left of Clifford Roberts, perfectly hung, perfectly spaced out on the wall next to it. And on the right side of the stage is a portrait of Bobby Jones, and they're both wearing their green jackets, and they're both the gentlest of all men. And so we line up and kind of congregate to find out our actual tea times. Uh, we know our tea times, but find out our actual groupings. And as we walk down, a tall British man says, 11 a.m. Brian and I are standing next to each other and we go, partner. And his name's Thomas. I think his name's Clark Thomas. And he's writing for a British, British something or other. Mm. And then we're looking around and, and, and we say, Thomas, who's with us? And he says, Andreas Kack. Start, Bill, Brian and I and Thomas start looking around. We say, who's Andreas? No one answers. There's an old Japanese guy in the front. There's a there's a guy from Mexico down there asking questions. Super handsome. Gray hair, suave. Kind of looks the way I would like to look in the future. Young guy behind me, the guy I emailed. He's teeing off after us, 11.10. We're the first tea time. 11 a.m. is the first tea time. I'm pretty sure everyone just goes off in the order they were picked. I might be the first to tee off. I have a feeling that they're going to run that tradition all the way to the end. The order. The order of the sacred jacket. So, Andreas materializes in the form of a male model. The fucking guy is handsome as hell. Andreas Kack is from Sweden, Stockholm. He's got a thick Swedish accent. And I'm telling you, the guy's beautiful. I mean, he's not nothing on Anderson Cooper, but he's, he's a good looking bloke. And we all stand there and realize immediately that we've got a Ryder Cup in the making. We've got Brian and I from the, from the South, and I'm from the SoCal. It's from the South and SoCal. And then we've got Thomas from England, I think, pretty sure, and Andreas from, from Scotland, so, so Sweden. We joke about it, and we immediately get to the topic at hand. The most important thing, handicap. Well, I'll go in order. Brian, three. Oops, sorry, the mic died. Low battery, like a lot of things. All right, let's get reset here. Um, so, Thomas, 15 handicap. I am laid back. If you could see me now, I am laid back in a swivel chair in this little master's interview room. Wherever We've done a few podcasts in here. We did one with Ashley Mayo, and we did one with Paige. Uh, no, we did one with Ashley Mayo and Hallie Ledbetter. Um, they were both in here. Wonderful podcast that'll probably come to you soon. Um, Thomas is a 15 and Andreas isn't quite sure, which means that he's very bad at golf. <laughs> he hasn't played in four months, but he guesses that he's an 18. He's going to go to the local muni and pick up some clubs because Augusta does not have clubs. I think that's why they tell you on Friday so that you have time to arrange your golf club situation. I bring my clubs because... Well, I might play golf, <laughs> to keep it simple. Um, I don't know if I have much more of an update. But I do have a cookie I want to eat for you. That is a good cookie. Really, I just eat the cookie so that I'll do the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Boys, girls, to say here we go. Is a bit of an understatement. 
The truth is anything's an understatement. <sighs> I wish you could just sort of feel this. I was very nervous before the meeting. I didn't want to be late. I just didn't want anything to get messed up. You know, I just didn't know what was going to happen. Now I know. I feel a lot better. The request to not post it did sort of twist me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I should just hold on to it and cherish it for my own and not use it. I just don't think that's right. I've been spending a lot of time listening to my gut, especially after eating paleo cookies. But... I've been spending a lot of time listening to my gut. And my gut says, dude, blast off. You got one bullet. Uh, bullet's a weird thing. Not a bullet. You got one firecracker. Blast it. But that's me. You know, when I was in elementary school, they gave us cookies once. Not paleo cookies. And I remember I had three cookies. I ate them all immediately. Looked over at my friend. He still had three cookies. Hour later, still had three cookies. School's out. Still had three cookies. I said, do you not like cookies? He said, no, I love them. So why don't you eat them? He said, so I can have them later. And I was like, huh. Never made sense to me. <laughs> All right. Over and out. I'll see you guys later. I'm probably going to pick this back up. Who knows when. And um, you know, we'll probably play some music maybe. Maybe we'll play some special music for this episode. Yeah, you probably have heard it in the beginning because I already made that decision. And then, uh, you know, we'll check in. I'll tell you what time it is, what day it is, exactly everything. I can't wait. I really thank you for listening. In a really deep way, it's meaningful to me. I hope you're having a good time doing whatever you're doing. And hopefully we're all walking in the same direction at some point. <laughs> hopefully on the fairway. <laughs> hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, and we're back. Guess what time it is? It's not that late. It's uh, 12.39 a.m., the beginning of what is known by most people on planet Earth as April 9th. It's Monday. I have a little invitation to be somewhere today in a few hours. Uh, 10 hours and 20 minutes, to be exact. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I was wide awake a little bit ago, and, um, you know, I got back to the house here uh, after finishing up my work and doing some errands and stuff and took a shower, and I was, like, literally like a um, Richard Simmons video <laughs> in the room just, like, playing music. I'm in this house here with the rest of the Golf Digest crew, and I... Um, you know, the, I think my room is the uh, the daughter's room, and I think she worked her way up into uh, being a cheerleader, which is uh, <laughs> which is great for her. Uh, it's interesting for me because 
I guess she's married now. I can tell from some photos. <laughs> um, and she had pigtails as a, as a young girl. And her name probably starts with a C because <laughs> there's a few of those letters around. Um, so funny, you know, traveling around and staying in different places. I really like Airbnb. I don't, I don't think this is an Airbnb, but you know, um, I actually Airbnb my house, uh, when I'm gone. So if someone is in my house, maybe having the same experience <laughs> recording a podcast about, um, who knows, uh, science. <laughs> I don't know. Um, speaking of science, my dad went over the odds of the whole, um, of getting it done, you know, of, of, of closing the deal as it were. <clears throat> I'll read what he said. He said, well, here, he, we actually are wrong because I learned today that the, apparently the number of media credentialed that can enter is about 800. So you got to figure it's going to be about seven or 650 that are going to be able to and will actually enter. But he says for 30 out of 400, that equals 0. 0.075. The chance of not winning is 0. 0.925, 92 and a half percent. So the chance of 10 people not winning, he's referring to all of the cat, uh, the crew of Golf Digest because it was sort of like, oh, I'm the only person from Golf Digest. And here he goes. This is a little heavy, but he goes 0. 0.925 times 0. 0.925 times 0. 0.925 X, uh, dot, 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 X, 0. 0.925, 10 of the 0. 0.925s equals 0. 0.46. There there is about a 50-50 chance of someone in any given group of 10 people not being chosen. So... And then, and then he goes on to say, your win at these slim odds is really due to the good karma you've earned by the way you've handled your problems over the past year. I really wanted Ashley to win, and he said the chance of you and Ashley winning was 1 in 5,000. I'm sorry, it was 5 in 1,000, or 1 in 200. <laughs> Other way of putting it. Um, yeah, so uh, since I spoke to you last, I met up with my brother, who... Uh, taught me how to play golf, uh, taught me about golf, got me to play golf in the first place. He was the uh, lighter to the fluid of um, flammable liquid that would be my future golf addiction waiting for the right moment. And um, yeah, he lucky enough got a ticket. I tried to get him one, but it was hard because uh, Reed is repped by CAA and that's my talent agency. Old Curly Eric, he's got an agent, folks. Tom, I love Tom. Uh, we've been together for oh, two or three years now. He sort of saw me and was like, he doesn't look like a loser. <laughs> I don't know how he found it worth his while to work with me back then. But we really turned it into something. And I think we'll continue to do that, which is really exciting. Um, you know, he's gotten me all the all the work, you know, waste management and um, helping me you know, deal with all this stuff. It's really nice to have a, a sort of business um, sage to to advise in these situations. Um, so, yeah, Chris came out and we, we walked the grounds, which was really special because, you know, he was the person who took my, he was the person who took me to my first PGA Tour event, which was at Eastlake some six or so, seven years ago, long before I had any idea that I would be, you know, today at a golf course, you know, having people come up to me and say, wow, I like your show. And that's so cool, you know, because for me, it's something that I, um, means something to me, you know, the show and all this stuff, it's all really meaningful. And I think you get that. I think, I think that comes across. Um, but you know, it, it really just feels like we are on the same page there, you know? 
um, yeah, so we go, um, we go out and walk the course and just walk around and, you know, it's just a fun time. You know, we just kind of, you know, we don't see each other as much as we would like, maybe two times a year, three times a year. He lives in Atlanta. I live in Los Angeles. So a lot of it was just kind of catching up and having time. You know, we, we went to Ireland together in October and it was wonderful, but it was almost like a blur. You know, there wasn't as much time to really, I don't know, shoot the shit as I would have liked. Um, so we, you know, we got a chance to tell a lot of stories and, you know, just talk about traveling and it was really nice for me. You know, I feel like in a way, you know, we learned so much about ourselves from the people we're around, especially our family who's with us, you know, from the beginning. Um, I guess unless you're adopted, but you know, (laughs) there's always an exception, right? Um, you know, and, and I, and I got really, you know, just excited to be there and I wasn't thinking too much about, you know, the event, the story that'll take place tomorrow. I, I was just kind of having fun and talking to fun people and running into people. And but there was a few moments where I looked around and I mean, it was a packed house. We were all watching golf, you know, we're all watching greatness pass by looking for what would become the 2018 masters champion. Who, who would that be? All, who would that be? You know, if you haven't been the experience of going to Augusta to watch the masters is very unusual, right? There's no digital device really anywhere to some extent. I mean, you'll be on a hole and you'll hear a scream from another hole, a roar rather. I apologize. A scream. <laughs> someone, someone got stabbed. <laughs> Not funny. Um, you know, but you'll hear this roar and then you look up at the scoreboard and wait for the score to change in front of you because you can't see the action. And the scoreboard changer politely waits until the action in front of him is done until, for example, at Amen corner until the putt, are done on 11 or the tee shots are done on 12 or whatever. And then he throws up the score and then there'll be another roar. For example, when, when, um, when Spieth was like just unloading birdies all over, uh, Georgia, (laughs) you know, he, uh, there was a, there was a roar. We heard he made an Eagle and then sure enough, we roared when we saw the scoreboard because it was tied. Um, it might've been a birdie. I can't remember, but you know, that's a really unusual experience. And for Jim Nance to call it a tradition like any other, I mean, what's so fascinating is that it was a tradition like any other in the beginning. It was revolutionary. And now it's so, it's old, but it's still revolutionary. You know, it's still unusual. It's still so specific. I've been trying to wrap my head around what makes the Masters and Augusta so special, but I probably won't be able to do that, period. Um, you know, and then I was, I was walking around, it was crowded, you know, and I was thinking, gosh, you know, this is going to be empty tomorrow. There's not going to be anybody watching. Thank God. Um, there's not going to, there's not going to be any ropes, I don't think. And my feet are going to be walking on parts of the golf course that, you know, no one really can. I mean, not even the media really get gets to go inside the ropes. The photographers don't. I think maybe a handful do that work for the masters, but really nobody is walking on that path. Um, and that and that would hit me every once in a while um, to think about that. Um, yeah, so I got home. I kind of was excited. I was excited. I went out uh, to go meet some friends. And, you know, I mean... I wasn't tired and I figured, you know, hey, burn the candle at both ends, whatever. And then you know, I got to where we were all meeting and I was like, whoa, the energy here is not sinking. 
and I just kind of left after like four minutes. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go. I, I got a big day tomorrow and I kind of wanted to like just connect and, but it was like really loud, you know, it's really loud. And you're just like, I like, I like everyone here is awesome. I just don't want to yell. You know, my throat's also obviously really fucked up. Um, I'm going to sneeze. I think here we go. Yes. Coming. Oh, that's the worst. Oh no. Oh, I gotta stop talking about the sneeze. Oh, God damn. When you gotta sneeze and you don't. Um, it was great this morning. I got to meet up with, uh, you know, one of the guys who took part in the podcast contest, which I think I'm just going to have keep going. I'm going to go buy a bunch of shit from the clubhouse tomorrow. And I like the idea of giving it away. You know, it's this, it's this really exclusive place an exclusive event. And, you know, my entire being is about the opposite of inclusivity. Right. And so I kind of want to give a lot of sweet ass, very hard to get merch to people that uh, have never been to Augusta period. And I think I got to come up with a special way to do that. So if you have any ideas, uh, slide on in old curly mail, read them. Um, but anyway, I got to meet up with uh, Devin, really great young guy from uh, Arkansas. And, you know, we spent a little while walking around and, you know, he said to me, um, I really want to thank you because you're, some of your episodes made me really want to go play the quote shittier courses. <laughs> and I was like, you're welcome. <laughs> but we started discussing it. And you know, I think the great thing about uh, talking to people is it's almost like a, a dance or a performance art. And ideally you both come away with like a nugget of information and, you know, we were talking and, and, and I, we kind of both realized that I don't know how it occurred, but the idea was that even though it's a crappy course, it's still somebody's course. It's somebody's baby. You know, somebody, somebody built it. Someone built that fucking golf course, whether you like it or not. I mean, people say St. Andrews was built by God, but a dude went there, you know, and he said, put the hole in this ball. But he actually didn't say it that way because he said, put the ball in this hole. This might be part of my problem. <laughs> I've been trying to put the hole in the ball. <laughs> um, yeah, so so Devin and I really kind of clicked. We were like, whoa, this is crazy. It's still somebody's course. Like you got to kind of wrap your head around that and respect that and realize that it's still a story. And, and to walk around and be like, eh. There's brown over here. There's a white circle here because it's all flooded and it's shitty and the greens are really bumpy. And it was just aerated. Well, hey, there's the there's brakes, right? There's the brakes. It's up to you whether you enjoy it or not. That's your choice. The course doesn't care. Neither does the people who own the course or whose course it is, quote, not who owns it, not financially, but more embodying the, the golfer that goes on the course. Because, I mean, is a golf course without a golfer golf? Tell me. I think about that a lot. Um, all the messages have been really, really, really special. Um, especially the you know the ones that are nice really get me. You know the ones that thought thought about them. You know, um, you know I obviously I try to respond, but um, so the, there are there's so many that just that I feel like I could say, you know, like, it's just like, Oh, that I feel the exact same way. You know, um, one of, one of you out there reminded me of the, uh, replica course in Thailand that I played. Uh, 
for uh, Adventures in Golf Season 2. I don't know what episode. Maybe there aren't numbers. Maybe there aren't numbers. But we played a replica of <laughs> Augusta National. It had the back nine. Every hole was identical, except that I was in Thailand, which smells like burning trash and is the loudest place on earth and uh, has palm trees everywhere. And is a wonderful country that you should definitely go visit. No jokes aside, it's amazing. But, you know, we, we played it, and I remember in the episode, I'm like, well, I'm not going to pull a speeth on 12, and of course, <laughs> oh, me. Don't say I'm not going to do something, because that's a good way to get me to do it. Reminds me of my childhood. Um, someone asked me to give a nod to the golf gods on Amen Corner. I will do that. I will do that for all of us. Trust me. You have already, this event has already happened by the time you hear this. I've already walked the grounds. I've already done it. But even though as I say this, I have not. I guarantee that at multiple times, I will be thinking about that and what I can, you know, sort of summon energetically from the, from the, uh, from the group that is, makes up us, whatever that is. Um, you know, and I, I, one of the things I like about all the messages is this idea of, um, you know, I've always been pretty, um, open to suggestion and suggestions, not only from people, but from the universe, obviously, you know, the universe coincidences are obviously a Ouija board to what you should do next and how you should behave. Um, but you know, I always go by this quote when I was younger because I was really, I was a photographer. I worked for a photographer, this guy named David LaChapelle. Very, very successful career and wonderful personality. Crazy and very, very crazy. But, um, but you know, he he told me this quote from Richard Avedon because he was also, David was also very open, right? And, and I think that great creatives and, and even great people, successful people, you have to be open. You have to walk into each moment and be bare, right? Uh, B-A-R-E, not naked, not a bear, not an animal, not naked, but bear, like, uh, maybe that's not the right word. Anyway, you know, Richard Avedon had this quote that was, uh, he, he, he would always say, well, you know, the best idea frequently comes from the caterer. And I believe that for sure. Um, to think that, to think that, you know, is clearly to not know. <laughs> And that's just a wonderful thing to remember when you're having an argument. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, my other experience is that everyone at the Masters, uh, you know, working, right? All of the staff and the volunteers, every single person is so nice. Just so warm and inviting and generous and open, basically. Um, yeah, so anyway, I went out to dinner tonight and... Um, yeah, you know, I went out to the to the bar where everybody was, and I was like, I can't do this. So I walked I walked across the street to Waffle House, the old Augusta Waffle House, and I just popped in there, sat at the bar, got my favorite, and the lady there was so nice, like she was just beaming. And again, I was like, man, everyone here is so nice. So um, I was thinking about how nice she was, and I said I might come here in the morning, you know, for breakfast before my round, because I don't I don't really want to eat breakfast at Augusta, I feel like I just want to, I just want to get in and I, food, 
food is great to enjoy when you have time, but I have 60 isolated minutes before my tea time to, you know, I don't want to have to eat. Um, so I said, I might come back in the morning. She said, great, I'll be here. And I looked at her and I was like, what the fuck? That's like, I'm going to go home and go to sleep. And I just sort of had a feeling about her and how nice she was. Uh, despite all, well, I mean, I don't need to feel bad for that. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you're fucking nice. And she gave me the bill and it was six bucks. Orange juice, two eggs, over easy, over medium, really. They were kind of over easy, but I asked for over medium. Didn't matter. And some well done hash browns and well done wheat toast with butter. I loved the shit out of it. And she gave me the bill. It was six bucks. I was like, geez, that's like, that's a good deal. And as a waiter, as a former waiter, every once in a while, every few years, I do something that makes me a little uncomfortable. And I open up my wallet and I, with my cold, dead hands, remove more cash than I do other times. But it was a credit card, so to be totally honest, I just wrote down a large number. And I'm only telling you that because I heard a story like that once. And it might seem like bragging, but take it as you want it. It's not. I'm actually hoping to just inspire a little bit of generosity all around. You know, one of my meditation teachers years ago would hand out dollar bills in the classroom. And on the dollar bill, there was a a stamp that he had put on it that was very large. And it said, love people and feed them. And so he would ask us to give those away each week and to be as conscious of the experience of giving that dollar away to whoever we gave it to. And he also asked that we not try and judge where that money is going. Like don't sort of give it to the person who's going to spend it, who pitches you how they're going to spend it. Just give it away. You get to choose for certain, but if you wait too long, you might not find the right person. So the idea was to be successful was to give it away freely. And I had um, years ago for the documentary that I'm working on that has in large part a story about my brother and I and how he got me to play golf and, you know, taught me all this stuff and even though we're totally opposites like we are couldn't be more opposite he's 10 years older than me and so many other things and in fact a friend who knows me that I ran into today you know we were walking around for an hour with my brother and you know all just kind of shooting the shit they had cigars it was great they were getting along it was a really great time and at one point Zach leans over to me and says is that that like your half brother (laughs) is that your real brother I was like nope we real but um you know, uh, totally blanked. What the hell was I talking about? Um, the movie, right? The Kickstarter, right? So I did a Kickstarter years ago and my meditation teacher, the guy who gave me the dollar bills to hand out, um, doesn't make a lot of money. You know, he gave me $3,000 and I called him, you know, cause it, the, the Kickstarter is just online. You know, you just, you see him pop in and you know, it's, it's really generous. And he gave me $3,000, which was like, you know, up there with one of the highest amounts of people who donated or, or you know, who were, who, um, what do they call it? Yeah, I guess they donated. I don't know. They, they, they gave money to the cause, you know, and in return, they got some, some sort of, um, what do they call it? Reward, right? Reward. Um, and I called him. I said, dude, that's a lot of money. I, well, you don't really. And he was like, well, the way I look at it is I considered, I considered 2000 and that made me comfortable 
and then I considered 2,500, and that made me comfortable. And then I considered 3,000, and then I started to feel uncomfortable. And then I gave you that number. So his gauge of how much to be generous in life was to just hit the edge of where generosity becomes painful and thereby learning how to make it less painful. Because, you know, the way I look at it is you can hold on to your money, but then you kind of get heavy with it all and you get sort of, your fingers get smaller, I think. And the world becomes a bit stickier a little bit because then you want to hold on to other things too. You know, you want to hold on to, you know, feelings. You don't want to let them go. But it all ends. Every feeling ends. Everything ends. That's a fact. Um, and it's, speaking of holding on to things, you know, um, the last sort of great course I've played, can you quote that? Whatever that, whatever that means, was Cypress Point. Um, it's a really weird story. Um, uh, I was invited by a friend. Uh, whom I knew peripherally. He was very successful. He made all of his money making the checkbooks that you get when you go to a restaurant. So when you sign your check, that little book that comes like the little four-inch by nine-inch little booklet, he makes those, I guess, for every restaurant on planet Earth because he certainly has that kind of cash. And he said, do you want to go? He, we were having dinner in January. And he said, Eric, what are you doing December 12th? And I said, I feel like you're about to ask me something serious. And he said, I am. Are you free? And I said, I don't need to look at my calendar because I just say yes to shit. <laughs> Hopefully he wasn't going to ask me to serve duty inside the uh, latrine. Yeah, he said, no, we're going to go play Cypress Point. We'd like to have you join us. And I just, you know, it's one of these things where you're like, whoa, this is going to happen. And that was when I was married, actually. We were all there as couples. And, um, the irony is, is that, uh, December 12th was five days after the decision was made between, uh, me and another person to not be together anymore. Uh, and that, that news sort of started to creep through, uh, the world in both local and global ways. And I was, uh, pretty... Um, not great. <laughs> I mean, that's a slightly understated statement. I was fucked. And that was on December 7th. And I had five days before I go to play Cyprus. Things have been on the rocks for a minute. But, you know, like, here I am going to live out a dream. And I was sort of in a nightmare. Oh, it was so bad. I don't wish it on anybody. It's hard to make things work, you know? So, um, back to the golf. <laughs> we, it's so funny. So I forgot all these details about this. I'm so excited to, to really remember this with you guys. So I get to the airport and Lawrence is there. Lawrence is a very short man from Singapore and he looks like the villain uh, in uh, The Hangover, but he's much older and he's much more polite. And he's like, just the nicest guy. And, and, and Lawrence is really great because he believes in a thing called conscious capitalism, which is the idea that all these brands and companies can get together and use that money for good. And he's got a brand that he's going to do that with 
when it comes out, we'll talk about it. So I show up at the airport. Lawrence is there at the gate to fly from Los Angeles to, um, I don't know, some other airport. I can't remember. So we, you know, wherever Cypress Point is, the Cypress Point Airport, <laughs> you just fly in. They just jump out of a helicopter, and you know he's there, and and the two, and there's one other guy there, and this guy's name is Nick, and Nick is just a fucking brick of a man, but a soft brick, you know, a warm Jim Nance type brick. And Lauren says, "This is Nick," and um, and then as soon as we sort of quickly said hello, then John shows up, and John is sort of, John is like a. Johnny Cash, right? He's really got a lot of vibe to him, you know, and he's quiet, but he's a deeply spiritual man that in fact is a spiritual teacher. And that's what links these three people together. And I'm merely the visitor, the journalist along for the ride, I guess. I don't realize that at the time, but now I do. And um, first words out of Lawrence's mouth, Eric, how's Sia? And I mean, five days earlier, we had announced to, you know, that we're going to not be together anymore. And Lawrence, poor Lawrence, doesn't read the news. But I mean, who does these days? Not that he should. I said, oh, we're getting a divorce. I <laughs> started crying. He goes, that's too bad. So are me and Nina. Him and his wife that, that we had dinner with on January. So are me and Nina. And then Nick goes, oh, I'm on my second marriage. And then John goes, you won't believe it. What does he say? Can you guess what he says? Yeah. He says he's on his third. <laughs> and immediately it all just dumped, you know, like I didn't start crying more. It all just it fell. Everything fell away like a, like the two holes at Trump national in Los Angeles that just disappeared in the ocean. They spent $20 million putting them back in. It was a landslide folks. Um, so then we spent three days in uh, Monterey Peninsula playing Cyprus. We played Spyglass. They offered, they were all going to go play Pebble, but <laughs> truth is I just could not afford any more golf. Um, guess how much the round at Cyprus was though? Uh, the price of three CDs, <laughs> $50, $50. I went to the pro shop there and I said, look, I want to buy a shirt or two, but the truth is, how many pencils, ball markers, and scorecards can I take before it becomes obnoxious? And the nice pro shop attendant in there said, hang on. And he brought out a fucking bag. <laughs> and I shamelessly filled that bag with trinkets for all the homies. I don't know if I'm going to do that tomorrow. But, you know, we played golf. It's a great course. This story is not about the course. I walked away... Well, no. Leading up to this event, right, I'm, I'm a little distracted because of all the sort of difficult things that are happening in my life. But as the round goes, as we play the course, I'm filled with this feeling of, um, you know, in some sense, playing a great golf course is actually a difficult challenge, not because of the way the club hits the ball, but it's sort of the way the experience hits your soul. You sort of are requested by the golf gods to experience it fully. And now what does that even mean, right? No one knows. No one, can, no one can tell you. But for me, it was interesting because I had to watch myself want something, which I talked about earlier. But also I had to watch myself 
get what I wanted and at the same time thereby watch it disappear. Right? It's like enjoying a great meal that you'll never have again, potentially. Someone said, you know, I posted a picture that said, I was just having a hiccup. That wasn't me getting verklempt. Relax. Uh, some, someone, I said, I may not see the media center again. And they said, you never, you said, I think you will. I said, yeah, but you got to live like you're not going to. You, you have to see everything. And when you walk away, make sure that you've seen it to the degree that you'll be okay never seeing it again. And so that's the funny thing about playing these great, wonderful benchmark bucket list world-class, famous, hallowed places. You have to reconcile with the fact that you may never come back. I don't know, difficult for me, maybe not for others. And so I had this feeling of like, kind of, I played Cyprus, and then I was like, Ugh. that was hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that was hard to enjoy it because I was so like wanting it not to end. It's kind of like the money thing. I was wanting to keep the money. I was wanting to keep the experience. And so I'm looking forward to tomorrow, to just going in there and being like, I'm letting go of all of this. Um, you know, I think the other great thing about these wonderful golf courses and these wonderful experiences, oh, I'm getting a phone call. I'm going to pause it really quick. All right, well, that didn't feel long for you, and it was even, it was very quick. Um... So these, so these great golf courses, I think one of the things that they offer is they're like a fence post. They are a mile marker. They are a dog-eared page in the book that come sometimes clustered, but sometimes they come separately. I mean, for me this year, you know, it was a joke to me to think I would play here because what had already happened this year, I played in the Waste Management Pro-Am. I hit the green on 16 with, I don't know, 10, 15, 20,000 people screaming. When I hit the ball, pure as hell, mind you, it just curled up there a little bit left of the pin and went to the right. I hit the green. That's all I wanted to do was hit the green. I told you all that's all I wanted to do. And to hear the people cheer, right? Like that was it. That was, I was done for the year with big moments. And so to be here now and have this big moment, like it's too much almost. Like I was a little bit overwhelmed earlier. But in a way, I feel like actually my train is on the tracks and I'm like ready to experience this with directness and full on schmigabay. Don't know what the word would be, but you know. And so it's cool because these these you know that the Cypress memory for me is a great way to remember, oh, that was that time when you walked into the airport. You know, in a way in a way the Cypress trip, I remember more the airport of hearing divorce, divorce, divorce than I do uh, almost getting a hole in one on 15. 15 is the short par three. If you haven't played Cypress, there's back to back par threes, which I like really thought was cool. I mean, 16 is an amazing hole, the long par three over the water, but I was way more thrown by 15 because I had never really seen it. And it's a cutie. It's like a little shorty, like 90 yards. Maybe I can't remember. Maybe even less. Yeah. I just popped a little wedge up there a little bit past the pin came around. It looked like it was gonna be close. And then it was a 10 footer, which I missed, but you know, people don't remember the Tigers chip on 16 and 97 was followed by bogey bogey. So there you go. There's the facts. Um, yeah. So the big courses, the big moments, benchmarks, 
We can use those to string up our clothes on for a while to let them dry out. Oh, man. How do you be present? Well, I think what I'm going to do tomorrow is I'm going to really focus on the, 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 the senses, the sensual aspect of Augusta and not so much the numerical or... Um, I'm going to really try to clock every time I wish it would extend or that I will, you know what I mean? I'm really going to try to note that and let it, and let it move through me and then move more into things like the smell of the azaleas. They don't actually smell that much, but there are spots on the course that have a very distinct and pleasant odor. Odor is not a word that should be used with the word pleasant. Uh, pleasant smell is I guess the word, <laughs> uh, the smells. I want to look around and see the lighting and the sun. I think it's actually going to be cloudy. So it's going to rain, I think throughout the morning, but I think when I, by the time 11 o'clock comes, it should be fine. I think also down here, they don't have any idea what the weather's doing. Just like, just like anybody on 12. Um, so the, uh, the sights, the sounds, the sounds, right? What are the sounds? You can hear the wind. Um, the feelings in my body, the feet walking, the hands touching the club, my hands in my pocket, putting on a glove. That's one of my favorite feelings is putting on a glove. Uh, even though rumor has it they're made out of dog scrotum, which is super fucked up, but I'm going to use a glove, so I'm not sure what to do there. Um, you can Google that. That's the thing. Um, really ruins it for you, doesn't it? I love dogs. Snowball scrotum would not be big enough for even like a thumb. <laughs> Am I evil? <laughs> well, if so, I knew it all along. Um, and the thoughts, you know, the thoughts is a, is another sensation. You know, what are the thoughts? What am I thinking? Let's be aware of my thinking. The crazy thing is, are you your thoughts? Who's running the show? Is there a little tiny man inside your head driving around your big body? <sighs> so the senses, that's going to be a big thing for me tomorrow. Obviously, I am interested in being good at golf. Well, that's not even true, really. I'm interested in experiencing greatness, right? People say, are you a fan of sports? I'm like, no, I'm a fan of greatness. Because I just like a close game. I like a playoff. I like a close game. I like to see great plays. And I'll watch any sport. I don't care. I'll go to hockey, baseball, basketball, football, anything. Went to a baseball game in Tokyo. That was bugged out. Different podcast. But yeah, so I'm, I'm interested for me in experiencing kind of like what can I achieve if I get out of my own way. You know, a big part of the movie, Be the Ball, is all about how we get out of our own way, how we get in the zone. We taught all these kids and, and adults and different ability to golfers how to meditate and we wanted to see if they would get better and the news is that um the movie's great and the answer is in the movie <laughs> um but you know how do we get out of our own way so that's an exciting way to look at golf you know um but yeah i do have goals um i'll walk through them i have three goals I'm going to come up with some more of those as well, and I'll probably check in tomorrow morning with those. First goal is I want a birdie 12. Second goal, I want an eagle 13. Third goal, I want an ace 16. So 
you may be laughing. <laughs> but the truth is, I would be fine with one of those. And the truth, truth is, I have really <laughs> would be surprised if I catch myself beating myself up for not getting any of those. Um, yeah, I'd like to see some putts drop, you know, I'd love that. I'd like to hit some good irons. I'd like to shape the ball the way I want to shape it. You know, Jack, I was talking to my friend Jason Goldsmith today. He was in the movie. Jason Goldsmith and I walked along with Justin Rose, whom Jason serves as his mental coach. Jason also worked with Jason Day. A lot of Jason, Justin shit going on, but Jason Goldsmith, he taught Jason Day and Justin Rose how to, you know, meditate. And, um, we were walking along with Jay and, you know, my brother's just like blown away. This guy's so cool. My brother's friend is like, oh my God, you know, I gotta, you gotta, I need, I need you. I need you for my, uh, my friend is a horse racer. He, he could use it. You know, we're having this funny, great conversation. And, um, we were by the green and, and Rosie just, just missed the putt. And I said, and, and Jason Goldsmith has this like notepad, you know, he's taking all these notes, backpack, everything, you know, he's, he travels with Justin Rose everywhere. And I've interviewed Justin Rose. He's in the film. Justin Rose, one of the nicest guys on tour, just so nice. And, um, you know, so, so the putt misses. And I said, Jason Goldsmith, you know, what do you, what do you make of that? And he goes, he made a good putt. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Jack Nicholas, if he hit the ball on the line at the speed he wanted, then he made a good putt. And, you know, someone went up to Jack and said, you know, what happened there? He missed the putt. He said, what happened? Jack Nicholas says, I, I made a good putt. And the guy says, but it, it didn't go in the hole. He said, I didn't say that. I said, I made a good putt. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things I'm looking for is just want to make good putts and shots and, you know, Hey, if I block it, fine. Um, you know, the greatest shots in history aren't really from the fairway, are they? Boom. I think I just blew my own mind. Um, all right. That's 39 minutes. Jeez. How, this is going to be the longest podcast ever. Um, I'm going to try to get some sleep here. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I'm actually pretty tired. I think I'll sleep pretty well. I'm going to get up pretty early. Um, I'm going to pack up all of my incredible mess that I've created after one week in Augusta. I mean, I don't even know. I, I think maybe some of my suitcases are on fire. <laughs> I mean, this room is like a tragedy. Yeah, I'm going to just get up. I'll probably get up at like 6. My tea time's not till 11, but... I just love having miles of time in the morning because it's so quiet. I also really love coffee, so I might even just get up and just go drive and get a good coffee and then come back and pack. Um, then I'm going to take an ice-cold shower. Not kidding. Ice-cold. In fact, most showers aren't even cold enough for me. Um, an ice-cold shower can last probably probably only lasts for about two minutes. Frequently what I'll do is I'll turn the water on. And I mean, it's so shocking that, that you really can't be under it for that long. I mean, you can't, but I'm not trying to be, you know, um, Wim Hof. Check him out, by the way. Wim Hof, the guy's a legend. Um, Tony Robbins also takes ice baths. That's how I was inspired to do it. I was like, that guy is a legend. I'm going to take a cold shower. <laughs> And so I started doing it and I, I pretty much exclusively take cold showers in the morning and then I'll take a warm shower in the evening because they get you too amped up. If you take a cold shower at night, good luck. So I'll take a cold shower. 
Um, I'll probably get out, maybe go back and maybe I'll go do a little yoga, you know, like a little 15 minutes of stretching kind of like in the room. Maybe I'll put on some NWA while I do that because, you know, I just like to mix it up a little bit. And um, and then, uh, then I'm going to get dressed. Oh, my God. I could not find an outfit. What the hell? I love clothes, you know. I love to buy clothes when I'm traveling because they remind me of the places I was at. I think of clothes as kind of as the one way that we can use to create a canvas, right? We we can explain how we feel in that moment um, to the person whom we're talking to or even to ourselves, you know, look good, feel good, right? Right? So I got to find an outfit, but I'll figure it out. I'm not too worried about it, actually. Uh, and then I'm going to load these suitcases into my car, which is always a really good, satisfying feeling. You know, it's kind of like Tetris or Legos, you know, get all the nicely, tightly packed suitcases. I put all the dirty clothes in one area and one suitcase, and then I put all the clean clothes in the other. This trip, there aren't that many clean clothes left. And I throw them all in the suitcase. I get in the car. I'm going to drive to Waffle House <laughs> and I'm going to get eggs. And then I might get out of the car and I might do, I'll probably do a podcast from the Waffle House parking lot as I drive up Magnolia Lane. Until then, I, uh, I look forward to seeing what happens and, you know, goodness gracious, this has been a long talk. I hope it's not boring. <sighs> sweet dreams, sweet world, sweet life. All right. Ooh, it's a little hot. A little hot. Hot stuff. But it's not hot outside. Uh, okay. Checking in on you. 8.58 a.m. I'm in a parking lot outside of the Starbucks. And, well, it's definitely raining. <laughs> definitely raining. Uh, I haven't checked the weather, but... Um, I can tell you right now that water is coming out of the uh, entirely gray sky. <laughs> uh, not not really bugged about it one bit. You know, I think uh, going back to the, what I was saying uh, last night, a few minutes ago for you, uh, the experience of playing these great courses, really, the memories that they create are much more than in some sense I feel, and maybe it's a sentimental statement, but in a sense, the memories that they create and the and the and the indelible sort of uh, marker that they put on our lives for a moment in time, a moment in your own life or experience or point of view or mindset or anything, um, is in some sense bigger than the experience itself. It it has to be because we look back on those experiences much longer and for much more time, um, and they unravel slowly. Uh, for us and, and as we share them with others through our words, uh, then, then the experience itself. I mean, just, just the, just the quantity of minutes you could, you could say that the, uh, the aftermath is in some sense the, the math. Um, I'm feeling okay. It's like I said, it's nine o'clock. I woke up at uh, six thirty, and I, wow, it was, I haven't felt that, um, hung over in a long time. And the crazy thing is I don't drink at all. Um, so to wake up and feel like absolute dog shit was very strange. And I was like, Oh goodness, this is going to be a good one, but it's good that I woke up early. 
Um, I had time to do my rituals, took that ice cold shower. And while I was in the shower, I remembered my actual, I took a cold shower before I had heard about, um, uh, what's the guy's name? The uh, inspirational speaker. And then the other guy, uh, Wim Hof and, um, Tony Robbins. I, I, my first cold shower was in a waterfall and I remember it being very memorable. You know, and we have, I was just thinking about that in the cold shower and I was like, wow, all through life we have these memories, but that's not, you know, like this, someone said that the ability to forget is actually what makes us human. If you remembered everything, it would be uh, crazy making, you know, um, there's someone that can remember everything, you know, they're, they're like a rain man kind of situation, like a savant. Um, but I, the ability to forget is almost as, as beneficial as the ability to remember. So that was just a funny takeaway. Um, yeah, I took that cold shower, uh, started feeling a little bit better, did a little bit of yoga. I didn't do 20 minutes. I probably did more like, um, let's be honest here, four and a half and, um, you know, packed up my bags, uh, got dressed, walked out of the house. Um, an interesting detail about the house that Golf Digest had rented, uh, for their crew was that it was in this neighborhood, which I have to imagine it's where, uh, all everybody stays and, and even some of the nicer, um, you know, some of the, maybe the pros stay. I haven't really asked about it, but the street names are really funny. Um, I didn't really explore the neighborhood, but the three streets that I needed to use to get, you know, from my house to the main drag were, um, Inverness Street or Inverness Boulevard, probably, um, Cypress Lane and like Marion Way. And I thought that was kind of cool, kind of a cool detail. You know, golf neighborhoods love to do that, you know, and there again, like, you know, the names of things the the, the, it's, it's not, you know, it's like, it's like there's the, there is Cypress Point, but everyone in golf, more or less, who knows about Cypress has an experience of Cypress before they've even played it. Not to mention after. And so it's like these, it's so funny how you have like a tree in a field, say it's, say it's a, say it's a tree in a field that's like bright yellow and it's a very special tree and it's called yellow tree. And everyone's like, Oh, have you been to yellow tree? Well, it's like, there's the tree that's yellow, but then there's the the story and the, and the, and the experience and the memories and the future, um, you know, like, uh, plans about yellow tree, the history, what's going to happen to yellow tree. <laughs> yellow tree is actually a pretty good catchy name. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, I, uh, I, um, you know, I, because this is a casual conversation and I feel like I'm just talking to you as like my friends, I'm going to tell you something that may sound like I'm bragging. But it's really not. It's just it's just a detail of the day. Um, you know, Charlie Hoffman and I became friends uh, through through the wonderful work that I get to do. And and when I got in bed last night, I hadn't been really watching any of the highlights. And um, I, uh, I I I remember the moment that he had the hole in one, but I didn't know he had a hole in one. We were on the uh, 13th fairway, and you know, 16 was pretty close right there. It's. Uh, um, you know, 14, 15, just double back. And then 16 is 16th tee is very close to the 13th green. And, um, you know, he, uh, there was a loud ass roar. Like it was like something big happened. And, uh, you know, someone said, is that a hole in one? And I was like, nah, it's louder than that. Well, I was wrong. Charlie got a hole in one. And so I texted him this morning and I said, amazing man. Uh, so happy for you. Um, you know, great, great job or whatever. And he said, uh, he said, um, what did he say? I have the worst memory on earth. 
thanks. Dude, you're absolutely going to love it. Go out and have a blast today. And then when he said he yanked, he said he said it was a bit of a pull. And I said, well, if that's a pull, I will be yanking mine. Um, yeah, so I'm just, I had a big coffee and now I have 55 minutes. Oh, you know what I did was I looked up right before I went to bed. I've, I've been getting a lot of the word jealous. Um, and, and, and when I say it, even in that sense, it sounds negative and people will sort of, they'll sort of say like, Oh, I, I hate to admit I'm jealous or I can't believe I'm jealous. And, um, so, you know, me, I, I'm so curious about words and where they come from because they don't always mean what we think they mean or, or, you know, it's like what a word used to mean is just as valuable as what it does mean because I think a lot of things just change so quickly, especially with, you know, um, the way culture just, you know, culture and, and, and generationally things just change, you know, like no one said cool in 1940, but now it means like, you know, wow, the way I was going to define cool was the word cool. Um, but, you know, jealous. And I was like, huh, I was like, I can't imagine jealous is actually a bad thing. Like, like there's no way that people are actually, there's, you know, like, anyway, I looked it up. Here's the, here's the uh, etymology. Circa 1200, jealous, G-E-L-U-S, um, possessive and suspicious. Okay, there you go. That's the definition I think that we come at it with. Originally in the context of sexuality or romance in any context from late 14th century. And then from old French, Jalos, jalo, jalo, keen, zealous, avaricious. And then you go into 12th century modern French, jaloux, from Latin late zelosis, or from the, the zealous, which is zeal, from the Greek zelos, which means, um, which means, uh, sorry, my phone got fucked up, which means, uh, where was I? Which sometimes meant jealousy, but more often was used in a good sense. Okay, this is what I thought was interesting, the second part of this. So it says emulation, rivalry, and zeal. And then they go on to say it's from P-I-E, pi, which is the root. And then it's, I don't really know how to read these etymolo etymological de descriptions, but um, ya is to seek, request, or desire. <clears throat> In the biblical language, <laughs> everyone's up on your Bibles, I'm sure, Equal uh, early 13th century, it meant tolerating no unfaithfulness, which is very strange. Also, in Middle English, sometimes in the more positive sense, fond, amorous, or ardent. 13th century. Uh, no, that's 1300, so that's 12th century? I can't remember. And in the senses that now go with zealous, which is a later borrowing of the same word for Latin. So I'm going to choose to define the word jealous for me as fond, amorous, or ardent, you know, um, you know, like the word Fanny, Fanny doesn't mean the same thing in Europe than it does in America. So, <clears throat> you know, let's just, let's just look at that word and, and just think about that. Uh, what else? I, yeah, I, I'm about to go down this lane. Oh, here's another good one. I was texting with Stu. Obviously, you may know him from the high-speed podcast we did. High-speed. Very fast. Um, I was texting with him, and I said, he's, you know, he's, we were just going back and forth. He, was, he knows the course better than me <clears throat> from watching it his entire life, and, and I'm relatively, uh, you know, sophomore in my understanding of, you know, most of the things of golf that he does. And we were texting, and... <laughs> 
and I said, he was giving me all the lines, you know, he goes, what does he say? Um, <laughs> he, he goes, uh, I mean, amongst other things, you know, it's a really nice text. Maybe I'll just read it all. I'll read it all. Okay. He's due. I'm not going to do his accent because I can't do a Scottish accent. Okay, dude, today is the day I woke up to this. I am so excited for you right now, and I wish... Oh, God. <laughs> and I wish more than anything I was there to hug you when you finish your round. I cannot wait to hear all about it, mate. Like I said, just enjoy every single moment you're out on that course. <laughs> the most magical place I have ever been. Oh, we came here together two years ago as patrons. I can't put it into words, my excitement for you. <coughs> okay. Um, think of all the champions that have walked on those fairways. All the shots that we know so well. Channel your inner tiger, <laughs> tiger, and he parentheses. Circa 2000. <laughs> that might be a joke. And go out there and hit some memorable shots. Your score isn't important, but it's the shots you have dreamt of. <laughs> We're the same person. It's the shots you have dreamt of that will last forever in your memory. Aim for the fat of the green. I feel like I'm going to choke. I guess this is what getting verklempt feels like, is you actually start crying and feel like you're going to choke. Fuck. I fucking... I feel like I'm going to choke right now. <coughs> okay. Aim for the fat of the green on 12. If you get the chance, go for the green on 13. If you're going to miss on 11, <laughs> miss right. All caps. The gap in the bunkers on 2 is the line. Don't go at that flag like a sucker. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> I could go on and on. I love you, man, and you deserve this. Enjoy, and I can't wait to hear about every shot you hit. And then he goes, there's another text, and it says, okay, so here's the really important thing. My goodies list. <laughs> if you could pick these up, I will be forever indebted to you. Please, pretty, please, please grab me this. Any list? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight items. <laughs> and in any of the other cool trinkets you find, you cannot, I repeat, you cannot get me too much random shit. <laughs> pretty much anything that says Augusta National Golf Club, I get chills just saying it. Thank you. And then, um, then we started texting because I finally woke up. He's in Australia. So then we started texting. I was awake. And I was telling him how I woke up and I was tired. And then and then he goes, I just checked the forecast. Rain is going to be clearing <laughs> across the world. Stu checked the forecast. <laughs> it's going to be perfect. It says cloudy, but I'm putting it out there for some sunshine. And then I said, yeah, um, I'm feeling kind of cloudy myself just referring to how tired I was and groggy. This is before I had my coffee. And he goes, brain better not be cloudy when you're in that pro shop, boy. <laughs> oh, you're a funny, funny, funny guy. Um, 
and then you know we go on and he goes you know he says um then he goes um what happens and he says um and then he goes yeah i'm off to bed i can't wait to hear about i can't wait to hear all about it one for the record books dude i'm so pumped for you i'll speak to you when you're done and i said yeah thank you and i said look remember if this does become the best round of my life and lightning strikes me, that I love you. Rat farts. And he said, uh, he said, uh, well, if that happens, hold, if the lightning starts, hold up your one iron. Even God can't hit that. He did later attribute that to Lee Trevino, which, you know, class act. Um, but I will leave you with that because I just said my swing thought for the day, which is rat farts. I love you all. Thank you for listening. And uh, I will see you. I'll talk to you shortly. I have no idea what is about to happen. But I don't think it's possible for in any way it to be experienced as anything other than borderline completely unbelievable. Words cannot describe but I guess I'm using them, so I'm going to have to at some point. Okay. Talk to you soon. <laughs> I feel like I'm saying goodbye to my mom. Bye, mom. <laughs>